0: Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 211. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always my colleague from PensionPanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fuleman.
1: Hi, everybody.
0: How are you doing, Fuleman?
1: Not too shabby. How about yourself?
0: Uh, I'm all right. slowly making it out of the doldrums of winter. It's helped that uh, the Leafs have been on a, a good winning streak recently.
1: Yeah, seven games in a row as of last night. When I proposed that we do this mailbag, it was like, I think, three weeks ago in a message, and the vibe was very different. Uh, that was prior to Morgan Riley uh, administering a cross check to Willie Grieg and apparently stimulating a massive change in the Leaf season, or maybe just magicking Austin Matthews so that he scores basically every game. I don't know, but yeah, things are looking up in Leafland, and this is a great time to answer some questions. Uh, we took as many as we could. If we did not get to your question because I missed it or because I thought it was duplicative of something we were already doing, I am sorry. We got through a ton of them, so I hope that uh, this provides some value for all of our listeners. So without further ado, uh, let's get into our first question from Cody Brown. What would be your perfect cap system? Luxury tax, no cap, larger cap? Uh, so my
0: answer, which I think is somewhat unpopular among these fans, is that I'm basically okay with like a hard cap. Um, it's obviously not super advantageous to the Leafs, you know, obviously if there's like a luxury tax or something, the Leafs would spend a lot of money and probably be more successful. Mm -hmm. Um, I I would like the cap to be higher, but ultimately it's like tied to hockey related revenue, which is sort of just is what it is, you know? Um, so, you know, like that aside, I'm I'm okay with the, with the, with the hard cap system. I, I think the reality is a lot of places that the NHL operates in wouldn't be viable if, uh you know another team could spend 2x of what they would Mm -hmm. so i i I think it's like mostly okay
1: in a surprising twist i am in favor of a system that would benefit the toronto maple Leafs. so i support a luxury tax so for every dollar over the cap that a team spends they also spend x percent of a dollar into revenue sharing if you wanted to you could even structure it to encourage teams to go into the tax and go for it years and then they drop out of it in rebuilding years. The NBA does something like this. They have a repeater tax that gets heavier the longer you stay over certain limits. And so there would be kind of a cool signifying value for like when your team is really contending and going for it, okay, we're gonna be a luxury tax team. Uh, and at the same time, the money you put into revenue sharing hopefully mitigates the problem that you pointed out, which is that a lot of teams are not gonna be super viable if they're expected to compete on an even footing with Toronto and New York and Montreal in spending. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'll freely admit, this is kind of motivated reasoning. I think because we're all Leaf fans, we're used to dealing with people who don't like the salary cap. But there are a lot of fan bases who I think have no problem with it because it restrains the big boys. Like, if you're the Ottawa Senators, who are granted now a cap team, but I don't think you would be jonesing to move to a tax model.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. All right, uh, next question from at Yano for sure. Uh, Which leaf is most likely to get wrapped up in solving a potentially paranormal investigation in Louisiana that then distracts them from the road to the playoffs?
1: Yeah, so this is uh, a reference to True Detective Season 1. If you haven't seen it, go watch it.
0: I'm glad you caught that, by the way. That was completely lost on me. I'm just saying, oh, that's a weirdly specific question.
1: (laughs) Yeah, which is one of the best uh, sort of noirish detectives seasons of television that have ever existed. Maybe the best. Um, it's very good. So my starting point would have been guys who can match Matthew McConaughey's mustache. So Austin Matthews or Charlie Bertuzzi. But the more I think about it, the more I want to go with TJ Brody. Several players have alluded to his interest in conspiracy theories. Like Mark Giordano said, it's the thing they disagreed on the most in their time together in Calgary. Um, I could see Brody getting preoccupied with the Yellow King and Carcosa or something like that. Like, really getting drawn up into something that's a little bit spectral and weird.
0: Yeah, Brody came to mind immediately for me as well for, like, the kind of conspiracy-ish reasons. It is also one of those things where it's like, you know, there used to be a time where it's like, oh, this guy's weird. He's just into conspiracy theories. He, he thinks Avril Lavigne was replaced by a body double or something. But now it's like, uh, maybe he thinks the Earth is flat.
1: Yeah, like, I'm not saying it was ever totally innocuous, but it used to be kind of fun. Where it's like, yeah, what's that tweet? Yeah, the Mayans invented cell phones. Well, that didn't happen, but it's kind of fun that you believe that instead of, like, the QAnon shit. So, yeah, like, let's hope that it's the more innocuous kind of conspiracy theorizing. And again, yeah, that's my answer. Uh, Yeah, follow Liz on Twitter, by the way. She's cool. Uh, Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Is the notion—sorry, this is from Paul Beast James— is the notion that the leafs shouldn't buy and do what they can to compete for the cup this year completely crazy at the beginning of the year i think most of us looked at the roster and thought that looks okay we definitely need to rework the d and maybe add a defensive forward nothing's really changed except the Leafs are maybe two or four wins below the pace we probably anticipated i should add we took this question on monday and they've won a few times since so they're kind of picking up uh 34 is having a career year as is willie marner lately has looked fantastic and jt isn't getting any younger um the holes we thought would be there still are so why not fix them.
0: Right and we got another question along these mm-hmm. lines as well um from at bizalls Uh the talk about whether the Leafs should be buyers for me misses a question that's never really analyzed is aggressive deadline buying the right strategy. Last year the Leafs did that and the team was worse after the deadline is a short time after the deadline enough to gel.
1: Right. So I'm going to start with a little bit of evaluation one on one on this. We start To treat this as a binary a lot of times where you're either buying or selling full stop but there's a spectrum from buyer to seller and it's how much you value wins in a given year so the vegas golden knights to take an example should value wins in 2024 very highly they're already very good and wins this year are likely to push them over the top they should be less interested in adding wins in three to five years because they're less likely to still be good then just based on the age of their roster and sort of the natural arc of the league so that means trade first in prospects who represent wins in about 2028, 20, 29 and onward and get players who add wins now. So you can win a championship again in 2024. So where do the Leafs fall on that spectrum? Well, they should value wins in 2024 highly, but they shouldn't just piss away wins in 2025 to 29 because they're still going to have Austin Matthews and William Nylander and they can hope to have more bites at the apple.
0: I also think they're like going to they're going to keep Mitch Marner, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? I, I, I don't really have much doubt about that. They couldn't trade him if they wanted to. He is essentially no-move clause, I think, from this point onwards. Yeah. And nothing about this team has suggested that they don't really, really value Mitch Marner, which is like, fine, he's a phenomenal player.
1: Yeah. This is um, verging onto another question. But the only way I can see it is if there's an entire clean-out of the front office, including Shanahan. And then a new decision-maker may have a new perspective. But as it is, the smoke signals say... Marner is probably going to be a career Leaf, or at least for much more of his career. Um, So if the Leafs are sort of in that conservative buyer position where they're still trying to be good in the next couple of years, that suggests that they should probably trade their first-round pick. I think they're going to, but they should not chase pure rentals too eagerly. And... They should be keen to hold on to prospects they think can contribute in the near future. That's what it sounds like their position is. They're shopping with the first. They've said that Easton Cowan and Fraser Minton are close to untouchable. Um, Now, granted, these last few games might have changed their perspective a little bit. if you buy this hot streak as being true talent, you can talk yourself into the Leafs being better than their record overall.
0: Right. Um. I also think there's a bit of a false dichotomy where it's either kind of burn the boats or sell everyone who is not bolted down. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, like life, uh, buying at the trade line contains multitudes. (laughs) So, despite the Leafs' improved play in the last couple weeks, and I think it's not just the win streak, their play has also improved. Mm -hmm. I don't think the Leafs are going to be clear favorites against either of their two most likely first-round opponents, which are Boston and Florida. Mm Mm-hmm. Boston scuffled a little bit, but we'll have a pretty severe goaltending and defense advantage, kind of almost regardless of what happens with the Leafs the rest of the year. Like, the Leafs could acquire Chris Tanev, and I'd still say that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Florida is Florida. They look like an absolute wagon right now. Um, so, like, going all out seems – and saying, okay, you know, trade Cowan, trade Minton. Like, Let's get all the help we can get to maximize this year. Seem, seems unideal, especially if you think Minton and Cowan have, like, a chance to – contribute somewhat meaningfully next year Mm -hmm. right now betting on a 21 and 20 year old or 20 or 19 year old or whatever to be productive NHLers next season is like typically not a good idea or typically not something you should like rest your your hopes on unless that those 18 19 20 year olds happen to be very very highly drafted players which neither of these players
1: are yeah even then you Um, should assume an adjustment period and an adjustment period for a team in the Leafs position is three months that are kind of painful. Like Matthew Nyes was as ready as we could have hoped he would be. And, you know, Mm -hmm. he still had a figuring it out season. And that's not a knock on him. It's just, it's hard.
0: (laughs) Well, and and even as kind of pro ready as Matthew Nyes is, like at this point, he's still just a guy at the NHL level, which is fine. Like being just a guy at age 21 is is a really good sign.
1: Yeah. And he has flashes where I'm over the moon about him. But yeah, the consistent performance is not actual first line left wing in the NHL. And again, Mm -hmm. that's how it goes. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think you're crazy for wanting to put the Leafs at different points on the spectrum. You can argue how close you think they really are. Um, There's even an argument to say, look, Matthews is playing one of the best seasons that have ever happened in the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs franchise. I do have to capitalize on that. But I lean towards conservative buyer. So, chop the pick, but don't be in too much of a hurry for a rental. Okay, uh... Again, this is a related question from Swedish D-Man. With our core in its prime, it feels like we have to go all in pretty much every year. What would have to happen for you to encourage standing pat or even selling at the deadline? Your thoughts? Um,
0: I think the Leafs need to have a really, really, really low chance of making the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Or there has to be like a season-ending injury to like some of the star players, more or less.
1: Yeah. Like, I hope that the Leafs make the playoffs. Seated... It'd be nice if they got home ice, although that's proving obviously very difficult. But the reality is, as long as you're pretty sure this team is a playoff team and you have Austin Matthews, you at least got to try, I think. Yeah, but again, you can rein in your buying instincts, but you're still going to give it a shot.
0: Right. I, I also think, you know, in as much as the Leafs have been at times disappointing this year, and despite like the eight game win streak or whatever it is now. The Leafs have, like, a lower points percentage at this point this year than they did last year. Like, yeah. they're, they're, they've still been, on the whole, a worse team than, than they were last year. I don't think any team is super excited to play the Leafs in the playoffs. As much as, you know, there's broader discussion in the media about how the Leafs don't have it, quote-unquote. Yeah. I don't think teams are that excited to be like, okay, well, we got to deal with Matthews and Marner and Nylander right now.
1: Yeah. You'd rather play the Red Wings. I say that confidently. And, you know, anything can happen. But, yeah, I think that it's very reasonable to say that the Leafs are at least a dangerous team in the playoffs. Ask Tampa. (laughs) Um, From Michael Nacarado, yes, can't wait. Your pod is incredible. Thank you. Honestly, we did get some really nice feedback in the course of this. So thank you to everyone who had kind words for us. Um, So for Fuleman, he asked, what artist album would you associate with Summer 1 current Leaf? For Arvind, what Leaf would you most like to discuss math and analytics with?
0: So my my job is basically, like, math, and the last thing I want to do when I finish my work is talk about work. So I would say, like, no one, realistically, <laughs> but I think Morgan Riley would be a fun person to just have a normal conversation with.
1: He seems like just a good dude, mm-hmm. you know? And I know that it's it can be deceptive to read that in from a distance of media, but he has a very likable public persona.
0: Yeah. Also, he's married to Tessa Virtue, which is a signal of quality.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um And also I believe means that he's now like second in line to be the king of Canada or something like that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I'll zero in on the song's question. I I turned it into a song's question because I think it's more specific. Uh, Unfortunately, I thought of too good, your dreams don't come true by mock orange for Mark Giordano. I really hope that that song goes out of date and his dreams do come true this is probably his last season. Um, On the note of former Leafs, I made a video just sort of making fun of the goal that knocked the Leafs out in the Toronto-Columbus qualifying ground series. And I set it to Flare Gun by Owen Pallet. And now every time uh, I hear it, I think of Martin Marincin. So I kind of played myself a little bit, but it also brings back uh, Gangster Marv to my mind, which is nice.
0: All right. Uh, next question from PJ Broski. Uh, have the Leafs changed their playing style? In years past, it seems like keeping actual possession of the puck was a priority. Now we often dump with very little chase and are happy to give it up and go for a line change instead of working to keep it. Is this a change in coaching philosophy, a change because of personnel? It truly seems like we are happy to just give it away far too often. Are they doing this on purpose, or is my eye test just engaging in confirmation bias because I am looking for it? What do the numbers say?
1: Okay, this is interesting because I have had the same feeling that we are being asked about here. Like, this feels vibey right to me, Um, but yeah, we look at numbers to try and verify it Uh, NHL edge, which is a new cluster of stats that the league has trotted out this year, um, according to it, the Leafs spent 41.5% of their minutes at even strength in the offensive zone last year. And this year they spend 41.4% of their time there. That's no difference at all. So they're almost exactly the same in terms of offensive zone time. Now, depending on who you ask, um, there has been a drop in expected goals for, like the, the actual quality of chances that they are generating. It's not a given. And there are also some metrics, like natural Statrix XG, suggests that there's been a league-wide drop in XG to some extent because the Leafs have gone down but have basically not changed in ranking. Um, Matthews individually still generating a ton off the forecheck in the cycle, as for Corey Snyder. So that hasn't changed. I don't have a specific answer here where I can say, yeah, they just gave away possession, but I do feel like they've been in some very stressful games. Um, They've been not as good as we've hoped. And so every time they do give away possession in that way, it feels more painful. I do also think that, especially players like Kerfoot, who say what you will about him, was kind of handy at keeping the cycle going from a mid-level player I think there may be a little bit less, less of that but it's hard to prove the change that my eyes tell me I see
0: yeah I, so a couple quick notes here one I really associate the you know get to the neutral zone then pull back instead of dumping it in thing with Pierre Engvall in particular he did that a lot mm-hmm. right and and he was like a useful transition player and, and you know a good possession player for this reason so I think losing him actually probably does hurt a little bit here um but I also recall reading a Justin Boren article from earlier in the season, which essentially said the same thing that these NHL edge stats find, that, you know, the Leafs are spending roughly the same amount of time in the offensive zone, but we're going one and done a lot more. Mm-hmm. And part of that, he theorized, was due to um, forcing passes into the middle when they weren't there. And he, he uh, pinpointed Max Domi as someone who like, kind of takes really high-risk passes, which can sometimes work because Domi's a very good passer. Um but we're turning the puck over at times. Now, Domi has, like, since course corrected and his play has been better since then. But this was, this was like, from from quite early in the season. But th- that seems like a pattern that sort of made sense to me. It felt like the Leafs' um, offensive zone puck recoveries in the first part of the season were not there to the same extent. So they spent, like, a similar amount of time in the offensive zone, but didn't get as many shots away.
1: Mm.
0: And that was, like, the, the crux of why their, their stats have gone down. Now, since then, it's worth noting, um, per evolving hockey, there has not been that much change in year-to-year expected goals differential or expected goals uh, four um, from last year to this year. Last year it was like 2.69, this year it's 2.65. So that's relatively constant. That's league-wide. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a small gap between the lease of this year and the least of last year, where the least of last year were a little bit better, but like not overwhelmingly so. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think a chunk of this is really has been addressed somewhat by the Leafs just playing up to their standards. Matthews's line in particular has been uh, really, really dominant recently. And I think kind of the—I mean, for, for one, I think not playing John Klingberg after the first four weeks of the season probably helped a fair bit.
1: Yeah, I hate to bag on the guy, but, like, it, it is actually relevant in everything we're talking about. He was, like, sub-NHL level at in his current state, and his performance— Really did take a big toll. I would also note um, sort of the other the other of Brad Trilliving's offseason signing whipping boys is Ryan Reeves. And since Ryan Reeves sat out a bunch of time and came back as a not-quite-everyday player, he's he has been a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So credit where it's due. You know, I don't revise anything that I said about his prior performance, but he's been more survivable because he was such a bleeding wound earlier in the season. Um yeah so to sum up my answer to that question unfortunately it's hard to prove um one way or the other but we do have some reason to think that maybe earlier in the year they were a bit more one and done um from Miklo Braca, how do you feel about Noah Hannafin do you think he's someone the Leafs should target and try to resign long term as part of an overhaul decor
0: so Hannafin's a very good player he's not an elite player but he's a very very good player Mm -hmm. um The issue that I would have with him, I guess a couple. One, he is a left-sided defenseman. And, you know, I I think the last couple of weeks, if they've shown anything, it's been a little bit more proof that TJ Brody, despite playing on the right for a large majority of his career, and playing on the right quite well, Mm -hmm. he's been significantly better on his left um, in the last couple of weeks. And I think that's a pretty important data point for, for Toronto because Brody had sort of struggled this year and the Leafs absolutely need him to be close to the best version of himself. Um, Hannafin is a left shot. So, you know, this immediately sort of leads to, if, well, well, if you acquire him and you want to keep Brody on the left and right, he plays the left and McCabe also mostly plays the left. Well, you know, four into three doesn't go. So some, someone's got to yeah. flip. It'll it'd probably be Brody in that situation. And that has like some possible unintended consequences of maybe his play. won't be quite as good as what we've seen in the last couple of weeks. So that's one thing. Um, The bigger thing with Hannifin is that he is three months away from getting fairly paid as a UFA, and it's unclear whether he wants to stay in Toronto. He will be very, very expensive because he's a very good player. As a rental, I am not thrilled, you know, see the earlier discussion we had about giving up lots of assets for rentals for this season only. And it's unclear to me whether he would want to sign an extension in Toronto, like, I, I don't know whether he will or won't. It's just we, we don't know that. And it would also, I think, be kind of hard to fit cap-wise, yeah. right? Like, he's going to command a fair bit of money. He, You know, maybe you can say Riley sets a ceiling on him, but that might mean he doesn't want to come.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, back of the envelope, because I don't know how much he's going to get, and I, I will explain why. I don't think this is going to happen. But if you do sign him to, like, the big extension that makes this worthwhile— you're kind of giving up on certainly signing Tyler Bertuzzi, for example, but any kind of equivalent replacement, like you're going to be paying a lot of forwards, a million or so to try and fill out your top nine. Um, So, you know, maybe you can say that's a choice you want to make, but it's, it's painful. Um, Yeah. The, the big question is the extension. And I swear I wrote this before Friedman reported it, but in his 32 Thoughts column on Wednesday, he said Toronto made a pitch and would want to know the possibility of signing him, Hannafin. But Hannafin appears headed for the U.S. on a long-term basis. Teams want to know where he's willing to sign. And that's the crux of it. I think Brad for Living's approach here seems to be correct. If you don't know, he will commit to you. And realistically, if you can't lock in that extension as part of the deal, I don't think you can afford to do it.
0: Right, because if you don't lock in the extension, he also kind of has you over a barrel in terms of negotiations. Yes,
1: an experience that for Living should well remember because Jonathan Huberto. Um, yeah, so I don't think this is going to happen just because, one, the signals seem to be from Friedman that he's going back to the United States. But also because you need to lock in that extension. And there are teams that are more present-oriented than the Leafs who can be willing to kind of gamble on maybe he'll still sign here. Toronto needs it locked in. And so I think it, it's kind of a no-go.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right. So next question from Adam Barker. Where are this year's Leafs on the fun-to-watch meter? I find myself mostly frustrated or filled with dread. And it seems to me that is more so this year than previously. Could be recency bias because Leaf fans are good at blocking out the pass. Now, it's worth noting this is from February 19th. So that's like almost a week ago at this point. Yeah. Um, And since then, the Leafs have racked up like three wins.
1: Yeah, I know. They have been a lot more fun the last couple weeks. Probably the most fun they've been all season. I don't even think it's really that close. Um, But in general, I think they're less fun because we are all thinking of playoff disappointments. We've talked about this even in previous years. It hasn't gotten any less true. All the Leafs can do in the regular season really is either meet expectations or disappoint us. Like, it's, that's not quite all the way true, but the reality is, if the Leafs flare out in April of this year, this little win streak is going to be a blip that is not long remembered, except by people who want to make fun of how optimistic Leaf fans temporarily get. Um, so I think, yeah, it is in the back of our mind that, okay, do it in the playoffs. Um, I think they are also a bit worse on net. They seem to be gelling, so I'm not ruling out that as they go here and make an ad at the deadline they might get around to being better. But right now, they're a bit down in quality, and I think that that tension combined with the playoff issue means they are less fun to watch. Um, That said, as long as Matthews is doing insane shit nightly and scoring at a rate that is unprecedented in the salary cap era, uh, they're actually a lot of fun. So there's that. Um, Next up, from Optimistic Rhyme, is Nick Robertson a top 6 level guy when his center isn't Max Hope pass Domi
0: Um so i mean i think look i i am no huge fan of max domi but i i don't think it's like fair to say oh you know as a young nhl player i'm limited by my center being max domi who was like clearly an nhl quality center mm-hmm. you know he it's not like robertson is playing with and, and also to be clear an nhl quality center who has offensive gifts it's not like you know, Robertson's been stuck with David Comp. Mm-hmm.
1: I right? mean, <laughs> he has been at other times, but not <laughs> when he's been playing with Max Jones. Right. Yeah. Um, so,
0: you know, I, I I, think this is something that we talk about a fair bit with prospects where, you know, the the team doesn't exist to put the prospect in the best situation possible for them mm-hmm. necessarily, right? Especially a team like the Leafs who are trying to win. The team exists to try to win games and the prospect has to fit within that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um. So anyways, circling back to Robertson, I think he's clearly an NHL quality player. His point rates this year have been good. He's played, you know, I think he's been in and out of the lineup at times, but for the most part, he's been a regular player on a pretty good NHL team. I don't have much doubt that Robertson is an NHLer. Um, I would need at least a full season of him playing like an above average NHLer with like zero doubts to say he's a top six level guy. I do think at the moment he could be the third guy on a top six line, the way Matthew Nyes is currently. Mm-hmm. Now, I think Nyes' skill set is more complementary for players like Matthews, Marner, Nylander than Robertson's is. But, like, Robertson could do that if, you know, if was if he was put in that situation. Um, but I view that as, like, a little bit different, right? I don't think Matthew Nyes is, like, a true top six quality player right now either. I think he's playing in the top six as a complementary player. And I think this is often how how things go uh in the league especially recently is that you have kind of pairs on lines that drive them and a, and a third guy who is a little bit more ancillary
1: yeah we also and everyone plays around with these terms a little bit top six quality can be a little bit tough to pin down uh if you put nick robertson on the current rendition of the chicago blackhawks he is absolutely a top six winger um because they don't have really anyone else except bedard and kurashev uh currently um I lean no on Robertson being a top six winger in the legitimate sense of should a contender be playing him there as a driver. Um, I don't think it's a great sign how little Sheldon Keefe trusts him. And you can say Sheldon Keefe could be wrong. Very much so. I think he's underestimated him. But it's tough to hack it as a 5'9 player who's not a great skater. And Robertson, by God, does everything he can to overcome that. He's got a great motor. And he can hammer this shit out of the puck. And I think that'll be enough that he's going to have a run as a third-line scorer. But I don't think that he has enough uh, ability to gain separation to get his shot off regularly enough to be a really impactful scorer. He can be a good player on a very good team, which is what I think he now is. So no shade on him. But I don't think he's a real top sixer. Right. The last...
0: Few games the Leafs have sort of experimented with the structure. It's been successful thus far, thus far, but we need to see more of it to really buy into it. With uh, John Tavares centering Bobby McMahon and Nick Robertson, which is like a very John Tavares New York Islanders experience, mm-hmm. um, but it's been working so far, right? And mm-hmm. McMahon and Robertson are both very, very dogged. McMahon is a very good skater for his size, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also, just on a note of McMahon, McMahon has seemingly realized that, like, hey, I can just go wide on most NHL defensemen and they're not keeping up with me. Yeah. A- and, and he just sort of hasn't stopped doing that, which is, which is nice. I'm curious if, like, how he'll respond when defenders adjust, as I'm sure they eventually will. Um, but, yeah, that line's been something. And it, it, it seems to make use of, of, of all of their, their skill sets relatively well thus far. So, so it's been trending up for Robertson, but, you know, top six is a high bar. That's saying you're an above-average any I don't think he's quite there yet.
1: Yeah. Um, and, yeah, as we always still have to have with Nick Robertson, um, he has time to legitimately improve. You know? Like, this is still, even after all we've been talking about him, a guy who's 22 years old. Um, next question from Brandon Champ. Is Lilia Grin good? He has great stats, but some say he's sheltered. But he has better stats than most sheltered defenders in the league. And when he plays up the lineup, he looks pretty good and seems to have offensive upside. Keith doesn't trust, but is he just too conservative?
0: Um, I mean, I think over—so this is another thing that, again, this question came in February 19th. So we had a few more games without Riley, um, or at least one game without Riley, uh, where Lillie Grin was essentially playing top four with TJ Brody. And I think over Riley's five-game suspension, Lillie Grin looked quite good. I think over the years, just generally speaking, we've seen like a lot of false dawns in our quest to have a homegrown top four defenseman. And I tend to think Lilligren is, is pretty good, but I've softened on my assessment of defenders enough to enough that I basically just see a lot of respect to coaches now. Um, I think the stats overall view Lillie Grin as an average number four guy. And I think that's fair. Like he, he's not like crazy sheltered or anything. The, the Leafs aren't doing anything you know ridiculous when it comes to uh, his usage. But they clearly don't fully trust him against elite players unless kind of forced by injury, and that is like a pretty useful data point, I think. Um, so I think more or less he is just sort of an average like number four guy. Like he and those guys, it's a bit like the they're a bit like you know useful third liners, and that most of the time you're just hoping for them to show you something more, and then they sometimes do because there's just variations in levels of play for every player, and you're like oh they're finally doing it, and then they revert to their normal self, and you're like ah. Maybe not. <laughs> I think that's kind of where we're at with Lilligren. It's like he's he's a useful player, but I don't think he's I don't think he's like a a, t- a true you know quote unquote second pairing defenseman who will take on tough minutes and destroy them in hiding. And we're just not paying attention to him. I think we're using him in mostly the correct way, and he'll do some things that impress you, and he'll do some things that don't impress you because that's what average NHL players do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Timothy Lilligren's biggest asset in this context is that he's a right-hand shot, of which the Leafs have almost none at this point. Um, Connor Timmins is injured now. He's suffered from mono, actually. But he's struggled to stay in the lineup even when healthy, which is not constant. And then after that, it's like Topi Nimala. Like, there just aren't that many right-shot defensemen in the organization. So I think the hope is always that he's going to rise up and become a real driver on that side, because we need one. But I think Lillie Grin as Arvin said, is kind of a 4-5 guy. And what I try to think of is, okay, what's going to separate him into a higher tier? Like, what's the thing that he's going to do at such a high level where he rises up the lineup past that kind of number four-ish designation? Well, I don't think he's a top power play guy, certainly not in the Leafs, because he's not as good at it as, as Riley. Not a huge knock on him, but that's another thing he doesn't do. He's not any kind of regular penalty killer. Um, he's not a huge guy, so often, sometimes physical size is a biasing. Maybe Keefe should trust him more. But I do give Keefe some credit, and I noticed that in penalty killing minutes per game, Lilligren is behind Brody, Jordan on McKay, Benoit, and Laguson. That's a sign of a guy who's not being trusted in 4v5 situations. Well, if he doesn't play meaningful special teams beyond maybe second power play. And he's not super dominant on a shutdown pairing or anything like that. You end up with a number four defenseman because he doesn't do any of the things that put him in the top pairing tier. He,
0: it's also, worth he has had a good year at even strength in terms of driving play.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And, and like, I think, I think that, that is very good. And I think we're seeing, you know, some, some really good signs from him, but again, like it, it's, you have to be kind of—I've done this too often where I've been like, oh, this guy's had a few good weeks as a top four-ish player. Like, we should be more gung-ho about it. And I think I've just become a bit more conservative about that as, as I've watched more and more hockey and seen a lot of players who I thought that about not do as well as I'd expected.
1: Yeah. On the upside, I think, the Leafs kind of need to keep him. So yeah. you will probably have more opportunities to see if this changes. Um from Nick Chapman I always appreciate the amount of effort you both put into the podcast thank you Uh easily one of my favorite podcasts I'm sorry I'm not trying to just read the praise uh, I just was reading the question This is very nice of Nick to say uh, Should we expect Jacob Marks from next year given for Living's desire to mostly have a true number one goalie or am I just making that up in my head
0: Um yeah I I don't think the Leafs are going to be acquiring any expensive goalie without some other pretty major changes and Markstrom's like 34, will be 35 for the upcoming, or sorry, for the playoffs next season. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, I, I just don't think the Leafs are the Mark, Markstrom suitor. I feel like the, I mean, I'm sure this is, I, this has been discussed probably to, to death, but the Devil will seem like the natural fit for someone like Markstrom, or it's like a good team that clearly lacks a goalie. But yeah. even them, I think like acquiring a 34 year old goalie is just a little bit risky generally.
1: Yeah. Apparently, there was a trade discussed that got very close with the Devils. That was the Scuttlebutt. Um, to the point where Markstrom himself thought that maybe one was coming. He has veto power over it. But yeah, they seem like a natural fit. The truth is, when you're squeezed cap-wise, and next year the Leafs really are going to be, one of the obvious places to go cheap is goaltending because it's a bit of a crapshoot anyway. If you can't buy certainty at the goaltending position, don't spend that much money, because you might buy a lottery ticket and do about as well. And so I think the Leafs will do what they did this year, which is try to run a platoon. You know, this year it was Ilya Samsonov, uh, semi rookie Joe Wall, and Reclamation third goalie Martin Jones. That's a sign of like, we're just going to put a few options out there and do it again. I would guess next year it's a similar platoon situation. So, yeah, it just because Markstrom is so expensive and is of a certain age. I don't think the Leafs can afford that big ticket, as Arvin said.
0: Um, awesome. If you're yeah. Calgary, like surely you should be trying to trade him this year, right, and not waiting to the off season. I feel like if you're, if I'm a team who wants to make a goalie upgrade, goalies are kind of random generally. Mm-hmm. But I believe Markstrom is good, and he has a good track record. So, like, if I'm acquiring a goalie, I kind of want to give them as many bites at the apple as possible to like make good on my decision to like acquire them. So I I definitely really value having two playoff runs for Jacob Markstrom as opposed to
1: one. Yeah. um, I think in general, teams should probably sell everyone on that kind of one plus one model. Also, I should add, um, you'd actually get three playoff runs, presumably out of Markstrom instead of two. But... uh, Oh yeah, his contract goes to
0: 26 or whatever. That's right.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I would definitely be chopping him pretty hard. The truth is Calgary's in a bad position that we talked about in our offseason pod, actually, where they're kind of locked into trying based on some of their big ticket contracts but they also should really sell and they seem like they kind of know it so we'll see um we've got a bunch of questions from mitz marner who are your ideal d targets at the deadline how much would you be willing to give up for tana or hanafin with and without extensions what do we do with domi he looks better with more opportunity but he's also so weak defensively and then he talked about different permutations for how we can use Domi.
0: Yeah. Okay. So we, we had a kind of a long podcast or long podcast segment about the uh, defensive options. We didn't mention Hannafin. I think mostly because uh, he's just going to be too expensive. Um,
1: yeah. And Tanev, also, like, I, I just want to emphasize the strong rumors: he's going to America.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, Tanev. Oh man. I don't know. Tanev's tough, right? I, um, I think you have to give up the first round pick essentially mm-hmm. to get him. Uh, especially because the Leafs don't have a middle asset. They don't have a second-round pick ever, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, like, that, it's, it's a little scary to do so for a 34-year-old rental. Um, so, anyways, my, my answer to that is I don't know. Uh, I'm The other thing, the other player who I wanted to discuss, because we didn't discuss him on the podcast uh, when we talked about defensive options before, but I've seen some buzz about him, and they look pretty decent by the stats, is uh, Alexander Carrier. Mm-hmm. He's a 27-year-old right defenseman. He's a, He'll be a UFA after this year, making $2.5 million, and he currently plays for Nashville. Now, listeners, I will not bullshit you. I cannot pick out Alexander Carrier out of a police lineup. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, th- I don't know what this man looks like. Um, but his numbers look reasonable, and some people who I, whose opinions I respect seem to think he's pretty decent. So, you know, and also, you know, more to the point, he has appear to play a legit top four role on a not terrible team in Nashville. So there might be something there. Um, just want to bring that up as a possible option that we didn't really discuss in detail before. As for Domi, i, I sort of mean my piece with it. Um, this isn't the roster construction I like, but his point production has gen- genuinely been quite solid. And in smaller minutes further up in the lineup, he has not been bad at all. And you know, I, I, we alluded to this before, but the Leafs recently have gone to this Sort of interesting structure where it's sort of unclear what the second and third line are exactly, where um, Domi is playing center to Nylander and Bertuzzi. And I definitely think this helps Nylander—or sorry, it helps uh, Domi's skill set, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he, he, you kind of want to play him with the best goal scorers you can. He's obviously not a good fit to play with Austin Matthews because he's just not good enough. Well, Nylander's at least next best goal scorer. Mm-hmm. So, you know— why not pair the passer and, you know, the complete offensive player? And Bertuzzi's um, goal numbers have improved a little bit, too. He's always been getting chances, but he's finally cashing in on them. Granted, a few of those are on the power play. Um, but, yeah, I, I think this problem, so to speak, has sort of confused Keefe for a lot of the year as well. Mm-hmm. And the setup that he's hated the least is not the setup that we currently have, but was the one where Domi was at third-line center with some offensive talent around him in Robertson-McMahon. and um, Now— the Leaf's success with kind of with Domi playing with Bertuzzi Nylander and then Tavera's kind of carrying the the Robertson McMahon pairing maybe throws a wrench into that. It's unclear what's going to happen when the Leafs inevitably lose a couple games in this configuration, whether Keith will just go back to, you know, let let's let's stick to what we what we know, let's do Tavera's Nylander, let's go Domi McMahon Robertson. Um So it, it's it's hard to say. I don't have like really solid answers here. I think in terms of actual like usage, like who is the 2C, who is the the 3C? It'll be much more split between those two lines. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think it leads to more obvious usage for the Nylander grouping where you're like, okay, you're not going to use that group defensively. It's just too many relatively weak defensive players.
1: Yeah,
0: It's not like McMahon, Robertson, Tavares are a bunch of selkie candidates either. Mm-hmm. But I think they're they're probably a little bit more responsible. Um This does create issues possibly for the Leafs in terms of matching up against teams with two really, really strong lines. Mm -hmm. And we haven't really seen them tested in that way with this configuration. They've played some good teams like Colorado and Vegas. Vegas is very injured, as is Colorado. And as a result, they're not as deep as we might think they are. Mm -hmm. And as a result, you know, I think the downsides of having this sort of two 2.5 two two point 2. five 2, 2. lines basically is not as tested as it would be against perhaps like the Rangers who are going to come to town relatively soon
1: yeah um, so <laughs> stay tuned for that but
0: uh... yeah no, so that's a, like a long rambling answer uh I, the, the, where, where I ultimately come down is that I don't know we've seen some success there I'm glad Keith is trying stuff this is the time to try stuff mm-hmm. it's still unclear to me how you know, how, how do you use this grouping of forwards successfully against a team that comes at you in just absolute waves like Florida?
1: Right. And that is where the bar is um, if you want to contend for a Stanley Cup. And I think it's fair to say, like, this is kind of flawed. I will also say I love the Tavares as a quasi third line center combination, not just because they've been winning with it recently, but also because it feels like an escape from that. What do we do with the third line kind of trap? that we feel like we've been stuck in for years and that we tried to solve by renting Ryan O'Reilly last year. Um, Jomi, I, I also want to say, I'll, I'll give him some credit. He is like a gamer. He's very ambitious. I think sometimes when we say Domi is bad defensively, which he is, um, sometimes people think that we mean that he is kind of indifferent, which is what w- William Nylander is accused of being on occasion, sometimes with a little bit of justice. Um, With Domi, it's not so much that, it's just that Domi has supreme confidence in his own ability to make certain plays or certain passes or to do things, and sometimes they blow up on him. So I think that that is um, a bit of a differing factor that I just wanted to sort out. Ultimately, and I'll tie this back around to the defense question, um, the Leafs have limited assets with which to make an upgrade. We were just talking about Um, where they are on the win curve and like what they should be investing in. Well, they have no second round picks for this year or the two after it. Um, They have a few prospects who they really want to hold on to, but their prospect pool is, um, Scott Wheeler is doing rankings now. I think he had them like 27th or something like that. But they're definitely in the bottom 10. So there's not a lot of assets to make an upgrade. If you are going to still pursue upgrades, you've got to prioritize what is your biggest need? I think that's very clearly right, defenseman to Morgan Riley, and so yeah, that it's, means it's you like, make your, sorry, you make your piece with Domi and Tavares being the middle six platoon.
0: I think the big objective for the least this deadline should be get Morgan Riley like a real partner, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I'm okay if you get Riley a real partner, and like to put Tanev in there just as he 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 would be he'd be I think the best option for a partner to Riley, setting aside the price and the rental side of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that leaves you with a defense core of something like Riley Tanev, Liljegren Brody, McCabe, Benoit. And I think that's pretty good. I think it's not, you know, that th- this isn't Team Canada in 2010, mm-hmm. but that was never on the cards. I think you have a bunch of pretty good defensemen there and that, that's, I think, the best the Leafs can do under the circumstances.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, uh, with regard to Tanev, it's a little bit messy, um, he is a really appealing fit for Riley. He has been for, like, I want to say seven years. This is not the first time we've talked about Chris Tanev as a potential Riley partner because he seems so natural. He's 34. He plays like an absolute warrior, and it's really admirable. He gets hurt a lot. And it is really easy to see the Leafs paying a rental price for him, signing him to an extension that becomes regrettable within six months. And I'm not saying that means you don't pursue him. I'm just saying it's a buyer beware situation. I'd still probably do it if it came down to a second and a B prospect. So not one of the major players. But But we don't have a second. We don't have a second. Exactly. And Calgary has said, if you want him, it's going to cost you a first. Given that that's basically our bullet, I'm not sure I want to do it because you do it and then you sign this extension that I'm pretty dicey on. Um. Again, there aren't a lot of great other options. We will talk about one later. Uh, so I'll just tease that a little bit now. But by and large, yeah, it's a thin right defense market. So maybe you just do it because he's the best option. But yeah, I, right. I, I probably shy away.
0: The other thing is that Cal, like Calgary has access to cap friendly as well. Yes. And they, yeah, weird. It's annoying, they, but they do. <laughs> um, so they can see that don't have any second round picks. So they can be like, all right, for, you're first or nothing. You're not talking us down to a third. Exactly. right like that's that's clearly ridiculous so it's the first or nothing like pay up
1: yeah and they know that right defensemen are almost always in demand they're certainly in demand this year and tanev is at the top of the market so they can afford to engineer a bidding war and so right now their stance seems to be someone is going to give us a first for Chris tanev i think someone probably will so we'll see and calgary
0: also has the um I don't know if it's exactly leverage because I think it'd be kind of a little bit silly for them, but they're not like super far out of the playoffs either.
1: No. And, and that's, um, even if you can say it's kind of stupid, it's useful as a bargaining stance to say, like, maybe we believe in ourselves. Right. Maybe
0: well, it, keep it, them. well it's, a, it's like if you're the Leafs and Calgary says, you could say, okay, that's a stupid decision for you guys. You're, you're three points out of the playoffs, but you have two teams to, to, to leap over mm-hmm. in order to get there. But Calgary can be like, I, I, we don't give a shit. That's our problem, right? Yeah. Like you, that, that still means you don't get Chris Tanev. You don't get what you want. It's a bit like cutting off your nose to spite your face, but that doesn't help
1: Toronto. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. anyways, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, one last note. Obviously, there's the pre-existing relationship with Calgary and Brad for living. I have no idea how that factors in. There hasn't been an assumption that he left on bad terms with anyone except Daryl Sutter, who is now gone. But I don't know if that factors in at all.
0: Also, I feel like the median person leaves on bad terms with Daryl Sutter. Yeah.
1: Not too many people have nice things to say about him after, except that he's a winner. Um, Which he used to be, but no longer is, apparently. Um, This next question is from Mickey the Ghost, or Mikey the Ghost. Uh, In a hypothetical situation where all power is lost and chaos ensues, what survival skill do you think each of you bring to an apocalypse?
0: Nothing, like, like genuinely. i'm not, I'm not even trying to be like glib. i I'm good at a very specific set of tasks which really rely on internet connections and computers and like lots of other things that would all be gone in like an apocalyptic situation
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I'm a words guy. If words become not all that valuable, I become not all that valuable. I will say, I've been on a self-improvement kick lately, and because I have a podcast, I get to brag about it now. I'm trying to learn how basic household items work, like faucets and shit, because I don't know any of that stuff. And I think I almost understand what a siphon is now. So not to brag, but if in the apocalypse, someone has to almost understand what a siphon is, I might be a number one. But yeah, no, I'm going to die. Um...
0: Next question from uh, yeah. Rob Quadrini. Mm-hmm. If Samsonov continues playing at his post-waiver level and the team makes it to the conference finals with him as the number one goalie, should treliving re-sign him? If so, at what term slash AAV? D- so this conditional is like doing a lot of work here.
1: <laughs> yes, that because that means major spike in his value um, over what it currently is. Now, Samsonov uh, has stabilized the last few weeks. It looks like giving him a week off to kind of recalibrate. Did really do him wonders. I have also heard people say about Zimsonov, whose name I, like all names, am inconsistently pronouncing. uh, They say that he's a very good tracking goalie, like very engaged, very agile. A little more dubious positionally, maybe. And when he's not clicking, he doesn't have the hugest foundation to fall back on. Now, maybe that's just kind of whistling because goaltending is always 50% voodoo but I have heard that as an explanation for why his performance seems to fluctuate so much. What does that mean for how much do you pay him? Well, I don't think that you believe that Sammy is a gold plated number one goalie. And even after this wonderful run, I don't think that true would believe that either. If he came back at like two years in the low fours, I'd probably do it, which is still spicy for the Leafs in their current cap constraints. But you know you can have him as hopefully the one A type. Um, I don't think you can fall for any single goalie run, because again you're shopping for certainty that probably isn't there. Okay, this yep, one agree. is from Matthews fan. Do you guys believe a major change will ever take place with this team? Uh, in brackets, Shanahan gone, core player traded. If they lose in the first round, or are we just biding our time until the Marner extension comes in, and it's ride or die with Shanahan in this group?
0: So I think Shanahan doesn't have, like, infinite job security. Um, he has a reasonable chance of getting fired in the next couple years, I think. Just, you know, he's been here for a decade. There, mm-hmm. There's a shelf life on these sorts of things, just generally speaking. In terms of trading one of the core, they all have no move clauses, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, maybe you can trade them, but if they don't want to be traded... They don't have to be. I, I think that, okay, so you're, you're basically never going to trade Austin Matthews unless something really bizarre happens, right? Nylander, like, just buying into what he says at this point, he's made the choice multiple times to sign long-term deals with Toronto. I think he just likes it here.
1: Yep.
0: Right? I don't think he's going to be super willing to move. I don't think, like, the media is going to make his life miserable if they haven't already. <laughs> like, what, what more he are they going to do to, to him? He appears to be
1: immune. So, Right, yeah. yeah.
0: He's just here to play hockey and then, like, you know, hang out with his dogs. That—that's I think that's all that he cares about. So Toronto's fine for him. Marner again has a no-move clause. I am really skeptical that the Toronto boy, who has whose favorite player growing up was like Matt Sundin, and you know, clearly is a huge Leaves fan, is going to be super jazzed to be like, yeah, fuck it, trade me to Columbus. I don't give a shit.
1: He side note, They this entertained a- an offer sheet from them. Yes, I know. This opposed. is
0: why that was fucking stupid. And the <laughs> Leafs should have called his bluff. They should have. Yeah. Um. Anyways. So, all this to say, Shanahan does not have infinite job security. I think he could be fired pretty easily, honestly. And, like, if the Leafs lose in the first round, maybe they do. Mm-hmm. But even if a new person comes in and wants to trade some or all of the core four, it is very hard to. And... Even if a player is willing to get traded, a no-move clause restricts the number of options that you have to trade them to, so it reduces their value, Mm -hmm. sort of invariably.
1: Right, so our next question is from Scotty. How do you balance the needs of the deadline with the team not being as good overall, but two of your forwards have never been better, and some slight upgrades and adjustments, benching Reeves slash Gregor, could result in four lines better than you've ever had in the playoffs?
0: So... We'll we'll touch on that last section soon, which I think is a little bit arguable. But I do think the overall point here uh, is that the Leafs' fourth line is like eminently upgradable,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you can possibly get some pretty big gains from that. The Leafs for this may have changed. I haven't looked at this in in a couple the last couple of weeks, but for a large chunk of the year, the Leafs with Taveras and Matthews on were basically the same as last year, but we're just getting murdered in all of the non taveras non-Matthews minutes, um, and in particular, that was the fourth line that has seemingly been helped a little bit. Camp's play has been a little bit better. I I think that McMahon playing like an actually pretty good player has helped a lot. Uh, It's happened more recently because he's been on a roll, Uh, but Noah Greger is not good. He had a reasonably hot start. He's been putrid since he's just really, really bad defensively. The Leafs have gotten killed Reeves is Reeves, you know, he's going to play a little bit and, He hasn't been as bad recently, but he's obviously not one of the Leafs' 12 best hockey players. Uh, Camp can be useful, but needs kind of particular usage and line mates. So it feels kind of doable to acquire a super fourth liner in a rental role, similar to Achari last year. um, That can kind of lift that line and make it even better. I should also note, Pontus Holmberg has been really good this year.
1: Yes, and Kelly Yarnkrog, who is Mr. Utility Knife, is currently out with injury, but is anticipated to return. Right, so that that does add options. And, well,
0: and if, if you put Yankroc yeah. on the fourth line right now, like that's a pretty useful fourth line, I think. Right? Yeah, Hol- said-
1: Holmberg, Kempf, and Yarncroke uh, is actually like pretty cool to me. I would love to see that.
0: Yes. Um, one other person I know, just as a possible external option, is a uh, Garnet Hathaway, who, mm-hmm. who's kind of satisfies probably a lot of the things that people would want. He's a pretty good player. But he's also like tough and fights and is like rugged and whatnot. He's a big guy. He's in Philly right now, I believe. Um, so yeah. He he would be someone worth uh worth considering. He makes two and a half million this year or next, so that's like a little bit spicy for a fourth liner. Mm-hmm. But we're already paying David Camp that much money.
1: Yeah. Um So, yeah, I like I think you can certainly configure these forwards. As I've said, I've been encouraged by what's happened this past week. Um I would also note that a lot of teams kind of vanish their fourth line in the playoffs or severely limit their play, not guaranteed. And it's an advantage. If you have a fourth line that you're cool with playing in heavy playoff minutes, but if Keefe doesn't feel that he has that, they're going to end up playing like seven minutes a night, which is kind of what happens in the playoffs. Um, okay. Uh, all right.
0: Next question from Thomas. Uh, What do you think the chances are for this team to win a cup in the next five years under Matthews' contract? If we don't go on a deep run this year, which of Shani, Keefe, Marner do you think will be around the team for the 24-25 season?
1: So, I mean, actually, I think Arvin did a little bit betray our sacred bond as podcasters here by somehow having it end up that I had to do the math question. I mean, it wasn't really his fault because I tried to do it first, but I tried to do a series of probabilities and I said, okay, if the Leafs are 5% to win the cup in each of the next uh, five seasons, and 5% is what the Athletic has them at now, they are about 22% to win it it at least once in that span. And I'm going to knock them down to 20% because they're the Leafs and it's a nice round number. I hope that that was mathematically calculated well, as I've said. On should, one
0: it's just 0.95 to the power of five, right? Probably yeah. they don't... Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. So, yeah, anyway, that seems as good as anything. And, you know, one in five isn't terrible. I would guess uh, if this year is a disappointment, Keefe is gone, Shanahan stays, and Marner stays for the time being. Remember, Marner has a no-movement clause. Marner's like not leaving. That. Yeah.
0: Um, like, like, I, I feel... With very high confidence, we can say Marner is he's going to sign a contract somewhere between Nevander and, and Matthews. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna be like a relatively long term deal. It's gonna have again, like all the bells and whistles, you know, signing bonuses, no no move
1: clause, all that stuff. I, I don't think he's leaving. Yeah. No, he's he's gonna get like eleven seven or something. Uh next up from Friend of the Podcast, Totally Offside, if you got one do over from this past off season. Who is the player you most wish the Leafs had signed, and who was the player you most wish they'd passed on?
0: Um, So the first thing that came to mind to me was Ryan O'Reilly's current contract. But that feels like cheating, because we we said at the time, oh, we would sign this deal. Um, But Mm -hmm. it seems quite clear that he didn't want to play here. He preferred to play in Nashville. Um, Mm -hmm. So that feels like a little unfair. Uh, My next thought was Evan Rodriguez. He signed a four-year, $3 million deal in Florida, and has more than have done to it thus far. Um, This would also have the bonus of weakening Florida. Mm -hmm. but Rodriguez is, like, a really good player. I'm not, like, that correct on things very often, but when the Leafs acquired Evan Rodriguez, like, sort of randomly in the offseason or his RFA rights, I was like, hey, the Leafs should probably keep him, and then they, like, immediately didn't. Um, I I don't know whether that was, like, oh, he didn't want to be here or or what, but he was an RFA, so, like, tough shit, buddy. Um, Anyways, so I, I think that that's my answer for who I wish the Leafs had been able to sign. Yeah, again, like Domi has been fine. I think he's, he's improved recently. I would much rather have Evan Rodriguez um, than, than, than Max Domi. I think Rodriguez is just a better player. So as for who I wish we had not signed, I think Trilliving basically limited the damage by only signing one-year deals, more or less. So the ones that haven't worked out to expectations, which is Klingberg most notably, also a little bit Tyler Bertuzzi, but Bertuzzi still has a lot more time to come good. Um, mm-hmm. The damage is really just that the Leafs are not as good this year as they otherwise could have been if they had been better signings or have performed better this year. Um, so in light of that, I feel like the actual answer is is Reeves acknowledging that the contract is not very damaging overall. Mm-hmm. But this is worth pointing out. that Like, really, Tre Living, I think, had a pretty mediocre to bad offseason. But it was mediocre to bad in that it hurt the Leafs this year and not much beyond that.
1: Yes, and the only thing I want to add is part of the reason he was able to basically get all these one-year deals is because everyone expects a cap spike this summer, and one is coming. Um, so there were a lot of players who were anticipating re- re-entering the market. Um, now, you can still say it was like shrewd of him to bet on the side of short-term deals, and that's fine. That gave him a safety net. I'm just not sure that's going to be there as much in future. His mistakes, if he repeats them, might be more permanent next time. Uh, I still wish they hadn't signed John Klingberg. You can say, well, he's now LTIR'd, but you still had to deal with him being basically unplayable for 14 games, which was not a lot of fun. And having your cap on, sorry, having your cap include him to start the year limits your ability to add a difference maker in the off season for only money doing it in season. Now you have to pay assets to do it, which kind of sucks. As we've said, the Leafs have limited assets. Rodriguez is a good answer, but for variety, I will say Carson Soucy, who signed for three years at 3.25 million with the Vancouver Canucks. He is a solid defensive defender who can play the right side, although tragically he is a left shot. Uh, if he worked with Riley, that would go a long way for the defense, even if he's better on his left. At least that gives us more options. Yep.
0: Okay, from uh, Todd Derushi, what are your thoughts on living, while loving and laughing at the Leafs?
1: Okay, so very brief philosophy minute here you have to accept that your sports fandom is silly this is silly the leafs are absurd it's all kind of ridiculous and that doesn't mean that you don't care about what happens it doesn't mean you don't get wildly into it you just also at the same time kind of know this is ridiculous because like the leafs have made me profoundly upset on more occasions than i can count but at the same time i'm like okay well It's a bunch of guys wearing coordinated laundry, supposedly in service of my municipal area. And I want very badly for them to do stuff, but ultimately it's fine. So you live by loving and laughing at the Leafs. How's that for a sum up? Uh, This next one, also from Cody Brown. On the tinfoil hat scale, is the Department of Player Safety rigged against the Leafs?
0: Um, I think Leafs fans can go too far with the conspiracy theories here. I don't think... Department of Player Safety is, ha- you know, twirling their mustaches on top of, like, you know, a-, a cliffside resort where their evil lair resides, being like, we must destroy the Maple Leafs. Um, but I can absolutely buy that they are just not very good at their jobs generally. And mm. as a result, they are kind of easily swayed by public opinion and media outcry. And there tends to be more media outcry about Toronto because Toronto is one of the most loved and hated teams in the league. So I I think they are kind of more sensitive or more attuned to what happens for Toronto and perhaps don't want to appear as if there is a bias towards uh, this team. And I think as a result, it leads to probably the overall kind of slightly disproportionate impacts um, when it comes to suspensions and things like that. I, I don't think it's like a, you know, it's a foot-on, like, okay, we have to destroy this team. I think it's more just incompetence. right. There's, like, this quote, right? Never inco- – never, um, I'm butchering never it. Never attribute to malice, but yes. never attribute to incompetence. Yes, exactly. There you go. That, that, that's why you're the, uh, you're the, you're the words guy. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think it's pretty accurate here.
1: Yeah, um, that is reasonable. And I had a choice when we got this question, which was, do I want to put on my Homer hat? and rant about the Riley thing. Like, the truth is, it's now in the rearview mirror. He's back from suspension. The Leafs weathered his absence very well. And I could just let it go. But as much as I'm sort of this big, on the one hand, on the other hand, ambivalent nerd, deep down inside me, I do have a pure Homer, Ontario boy in me. And it kind of came out with the Riley thing. And so now I'm going to rant for a minute. The Riley play was obviously suspendable. You can't hit people in the face with a stick that has to be uh, punished in some way by the Department of Player Safety. I get it. Um, I don't believe for one second that gets five games if it happens on a Tuesday night in Nashville. You will not convince me that that is the case. Um, there were a bunch of plays, uh, most prominently Alex Chiazon on Jimmy Vesey, where he was cross-checked after the, the end of a game. Chiazon got one game. And you can say that Raleigh's move was more aggressive. Was it five times more aggressive? I don't think so. Um, and I know that Gary Bettman referenced that. And he said, well, it's more forceful. And I think Bettman was covering his ass. But I wanted to talk about what Grieg was doing um, at the end. He got on a breakaway towards an empty net. There was no one within 25 feet of him. And he took a wind-up clapper into the empty net. And a ton of people said it. Oh, isn't this awful? Riley's retaliating against him for celebrating winning. No, it's an insult.
0: Yeah. So, like, I, just to jump yeah. in here, like you do this to get a reaction, yeah. Right? Like it—that's the point. And uh, to be very clear and very explicit here, it does not remotely condone a response as egregious as what Riley did. But Greg was doing it. To taunt. That's the point of a taunt. Yeah. Right? it It's to incite a reaction. It's to insult, right? Like, it's to provoke. Yeah. And, so, and, you yeah. know,
1: and it worked. Yes. Like, this is the thing is he's functioning as a rat. He is far from the first guy to do this and to do this successfully. And there were, I even saw some Sense fans who said, yeah, he was baiting your guy into doing something stupid and he succeeded. Very true. Mm-hmm. But there were a ton of people who were like we have to clean up the the moral climate of the game in this context and i'm like that's like that's fine but if you have any understanding of context you know that that is intended as an insult that's the point of it and reactions in terms of shoving with cross checks are well accepted as part of the game in response to that again you can say well maybe they shouldn't be but I find it a little convenient when every other Canadian fan base decides that suddenly we have to get tough on crime when it still leaves you do something.
0: Well, it's also like, okay, yeah, maybe it shouldn't be. I, I am on board with that. I think it's stupid that people have to fight after clean hits. I think scrums after the whistle are just like, this is performative and silly. And it's just like, it's, yeah. it's, it's right. Or sorry, it's trote, right? I should say, um, uh, rote. Jesus. I meant to say trite or rote, And I said, trote. It's both. yes. Oh, so
1: you know what? We're coining a new word. Yeah. But,
0: you know, the the time to make that – or the time to say, like, oh, you know, we have to stamp that out, isn't, like, in the middle of – like, that's, like, a longer-term thing. If you want to throw the book at him, sure, right? Like, let's start making this an actual change then. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um But, yeah, I think the idea of I, – I think some people were very disingenuous about how they responded to this, which I think is silly because you can be completely genuine about this and can still come to the same conclusion that – Riley getting five games is deserved. Because, yeah. yeah, he came in high. It was a dangerous play. Grig could have been really mm-hmm. hurt. It's good that he's not. Mm-hmm. And, like, we should not allow that for what Riley did. But we don't have to say that, you know, this is the same thing as, like, the Batista bat flip, which I saw. I, I saw Micah McCurdy make this comparison. And, Micah, I love you. You're a genius. You're a lot smarter than me. That is the dumbest comparison I've heard in a while.
1: <laughs> I, I I do not think that that is apples to apples. I, I say that with all the love in my heart for Micah. But— this is the thing, is if Greg were beating a goalie with a slap shot, do whatever. You know, stunt a little bit. But again, it's an uncontested shot into an empty net. The point of the slapper is to piss off the other team and to stunt on them a little bit. Again, you don't have to say that, okay, now Riley's action is justified. Look, you had to suspend Riley. I'm just saying the idea that it was this totally divorced from context situation... Um, because it's a way to stick it to the Leafs, I thought that was bullshit, and I thought that there was a ton of that bullshit going around. So, full disclosure, I think if they'd given, like, Riley, like, even three or four games, I would have said, yeah. But it's just the chatter around it got so fucking disingenuous. So, anyway, there is my rant. Uh, DOPS, not biased against the Leafs, per se, but, yeah, I'm absolutely willing to believe that it, it becomes a big issue anytime the Leafs do something. And once it's a big issue, it incentivizes player safety to sometimes make a statement. I think that is what happened here. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my Homer hat. I've had a lot of people tell me that I'm crazy on that one, but I'm willing to go bleed blue. Um, from a very stable genius, which is just a terrific uh, Twitter name. What player is the most valuable trade asset in the league, considering skill, contract, age, etc.? I'm thinking one of McDavid or Bedard.
0: Yeah, so with the with the caveat that trade value is not constant across teams, um, I would say that Bedard is the most valuable trade asset to most teams right now. And that's just because most teams are not contenders. So, mm-hmm. you know, most teams would get a lot of future wins. And Bedard, essentially being underpaid for the next six years, for sure, is ridiculously valuable because he's not very far away from being, you know, one of the very best players in the world. Um, yeah. Like, Edmonton clearly doesn't trade McDavid for Bedard. The Leafs probably don't trade Matthews for Bedard for the same reason. Mm-hmm. But a lot of other teams would. And actually, kind of an interesting thought experiment is like, who's the best current player that would be traded for Connor Bedard? And I don't know the answer to that. I just thought of that, like, now. So I, I, mm-hmm. I'm really not sure. But... Yeah, it's, it's not. Crosby. Oh, yeah. You know what? Pro- <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point.
1: Yeah. But, yeah, and, and I mean, that's that's kind of what gets at what you've been saying. Hey, like, team context matters, right? Yeah. Because even though Bedard is going to be more valuable long-term in a cap environment, probably, um, obviously Edmonton or Toronto or Colorado don't do it for their big M players. Because, yeah, that that still makes them worse in the year they're trying to contend. Yeah. Um, Okay, so coming up next from Kieran Gorski, was the Sandin-McCabe swap the right move? Um, and also a second question, how good is hypothetical average slash slightly above average shooter Austin Matthews? I should add, um, Sandin and McCabe were not traded for each other. Um, McCabe was a, an acquisition from the Chicago and then Rasmus Sandin was traded to the Washington Capitals for a third. But the congestion on the blue line kind of made a connection between the two moves. So I just wanted to... Add that. Yeah. Clarity. So
0: I think hypothetical, <clears throat> excuse me, hypothetical average shooter, Austin Matthews, is like a comfortable number one center, but he's not an elite one anymore, I don't think. So i put him like kind of in the Braden Point range, kind of the sixth to tenth best center in the league or thereabouts. Um, Maybe this is a little underrating Matthews. Cause Ma- Matthews is like a really phenomenal player outside of his shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but the shot also just makes him so valuable and so dangerous. You also have to get into the discussion – there's a couple of caveats they have to have here where it's like, if Matthews is like less dangerous shooting, probably teams defend him a little bit differently, which maybe takes away other aspects of his play, Mm -hmm. right? I was thinking about this yesterday where um, the first goal Tyler Bertuzzi scored on the power play where Marner just threads a cross-ice pass or cross-crease pass um, and both of them are like kind of down low at the goal line. Like, that's kind of possible because you could see how worried the Colorado penalty kill was about Austin Matthews. They're like leaving the guy open at the net, Right mm-hmm. to, to shade towards to prevent the Marner to Matthews pass, and like if you shade one way on Mitch Marner, he's going to find the other one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, putting that aside, um, Matthews is still be a really 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 good player, in uh, in in the case that he's only an average shooter. Um, I guess it also does depend a little bit on how you define him being a worse shooter. Are you saying that like he? Now just all of his shots are as likely to go in as like an average NHLer. Or he is like, part of being able to shoot is being able to get your shot off very fast and Mm -hmm. get your shot off in weird situations where your feet aren't set and your body positioning is weird and there's a defender on your back and all that stuff. That's all sort of part of shooting, but it's not necessarily a part of like shooting above expected Mm -hmm. in some sense. So Matthews is like really great at both aspects of that. If you say Mm -hmm. he also gets like less able to shoot like his shot production goes down and then he becomes even worse than, than what I've described here. Um, regarding the Sandine McCabe swap, or or, or like, at least I think it's really more just the decision that, like, Sandine was not going to be a top four defenseman, ergo, we need someone who can actually play that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was down on this at the time because I really believed in Sandine. He mm-hmm. hasn't exactly proven me right with his play in Washington. So I, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, in the the question that was asked about Loigren last year, I think part of my hesitation to like really buy into Loigren is a little bit based on the fact that I did buy in pretty heavily to Sandine, and I think that you know in hindsight I should have been more deferential to what the Leafs and the coaching staff was seeing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's reasonable, and I do think you can only have so many left shot defensemen who are not as good on the right side. That's the other thing is just it becomes <laughs> pretty difficult, and. You know, when you're an undersized defenseman who's not a an absolutely blazing skater, then it can be difficult. Um, this next question is from Sweetwater. If you got one do-over of takes in the history of your podcast, where were you the most wrong and why?
0: Um, so I'm sure there's other ones that have come that that exist, but the one that came to mind immediately was just being kind of blase about Marchment for Mulgan and actually thinking that like, okay, Marchment has, it seems like he's not really going to be much at the NHL level. He played like a few games for the Leafs at the time mm-hmm. and, and just looked pretty unimpressive. Uh, his, his AHL stats were okay, but nothing amazing. And like Morgan, I thought it's like, okay, this is like a, you know, a potential, you know, exciting fourth liner or whatever. So I'm like, this, this seems like a nothing deal, but I think we got the better end of it. And then that did not work out at all. Um, so I was definitely wrong on that. And I should also credit uh, Species from, from PPP was kind of banging the drum that, hey, Mason Marchman's actually pretty good. And like I know he hasn't been great in the NHL yet, but like, I think it'll come. And he was absolutely correct about that.
1: I should also add, um, and I was like also quite wrong on this trade, um, Marchman did have a bit of an injury history. And I thought that that was going to hold him back from higher level effectiveness. And it didn't. Um, Malgan also was younger and being younger is good, but you also have to continue to improve. And Malgan's best season in the NHL still occurred actually before this trade. So, yeah, um, for variety, I will say the Kadri for Kerfoot deal. I think we were actually like reasonably cautious about it. We were, we were much
0: less excited about it than most people.
1: Yeah. I don't think everyone quite remembers how keen people were to have Kadri traded after he got suspended for the second consecutive year in the playoffs. The assumption was just, look, we can't rely on him. Um, And, you know, I get why people felt that way. I thought that way too. I was like, I don't know when the Red Mist is going to take over, but you know, the gap in value between Nazem Kadri and Alexander Kerfoot has proven to be huge. And I am now going to restrain myself from even commenting on the Tyson-Berry aspect of the trade, because I've done that enough. But yeah, like, look, that trade just didn't work out.
0: All right, next one from Cole Lewis. Why is Simone Benoit your new favorite Leaf, and is he worth $10 million a season for the vibes?
1: Absolutely. Now, the only thing I want to say—and Benoit has, like, blown away, I think, everyone's expectations. I think even Brad for living's expectations, probably, but credit to Brad— for making a good bet on a depth defenseman that has paid out pretty nicely for us. And
0: Benoit um, looked yeah. horrible by the stats on Anaheim last year. And I think even most Ducks fans were like, this guy's fucking terrible. But yeah, like, like this was an example of the environment truly actually poisoning the value of a player.
1: Mm-hmm. And it does happen, and it's worth keeping it in mind. And, you know, in that last episode we did actually, we talked about a couple of defenders from the Sharks. Like Mario Ferraro, Yan Ruda... And I'm not saying that these guys are world beaters necessarily, but if you want to talk yourself into making a trade to get one of those players, you might point out the Sharks are a wasteland and they might look better once they leave it. Um, As regards Benoit, the only thing I want to say, and unfortunately I'm going to be a minor buzzkill here, is expectations are the father of disappointment. Benoit has triumphed over no expectations by being pretty good when no one expected anything um if he signs a bigger deal and we're relying on him saying okay now you really have to be a top four guy on an ongoing basis it might get a little bit trickier we might notice for example that he does not produce points at all or that his skating is maybe not very good (laughs) by nhl standards but i think I think you certainly do want to keep him. And, look, we're going to end up relying on him as one of our six best defensemen going into the playoffs, it looks like, probably on the Benoit-McCabe pairing. Even if you get someone else that just pushes him to, like, fifth. So, good for you, bud.
0: So, next question. A couple from Kid Kawartha. One, should Bobby McMahon's next contract be 5 by million or 8 by million? Also, what do you think his locker room (laughs) nickname is? And then the actual question that they have is, if we don't make at least the Eastern Conference final this year, should we see if Tavares will take a trade?
1: Okay. So, yeah, I ended up taking both of these ones, I guess. So I apologize. You're going to hear a bit more of my voice in a row. Uh, according to a random clip of Austin Matthews I found, Bobby McMahon's nickname is Bobo. Uh The Leafs should try to give McMahon more off- offensive opportunities, and they're doing that uh, to see where what he can do. He had a long stretch this year where he didn't produce very much. But that was also in, like, pretty defensive usage. No one to their best advantage. Playing winged to David Kampf. Um, I won't hate it if he gets a run at second line left wing to see what he can do. He also looks like he is absolutely feeling it lately. And he legitimately looks like a difference maker. Even aside from the fact he's shooting the lights out. So, you know, we'll see if that continues. But I'm a little more willing to buy it than maybe on hot streaks past. I think there might be something there. Um,
0: as for Tavares, I mean, yeah. I, I, will, I feel like I, we've said this 35 times this podcast. They have no move tosses. Yep. They negotiated for uh, him. They got him. What are you going to do?
1: Yeah. Um, so that leaves your option as this. You can gently ask Tavares if he's interested in moving. I would strongly suspect his answer is no. Yeah, the guy has you, three young kids. Yeah, and he moved here and made a big deal of becoming the captain who was going to come and do everything he could for Toronto. Um, I would be really surprised if he says no. Um, by the way, if he he says yes, you mean, yeah, sorry. I would be really surprised if he agrees to be traded. He's going to probably stand on his no move clause. And I think, you know, justifiably, um, you also probably get nothing back in the trade except cap space or like, like very limited assets just because of the price. Uh, then you have to fill your hole at 2C. You've also foreclosed any possibility of him taking a discount deal to come out of this one as an extension. I'm not saying that that's necessarily going to happen and generate great value, but you've closed the door. Um, You know, do you consider this if he has no no no-move clause in his contract? Yeah, maybe, but it's not the panacea some people think it is. It is certainly not worth torching your reputation around the league to put pressure on him. Which I've seen people suggest on Twitter, and I have to say, I think is really stupid.
0: Yeah, I mean that that's something that you could do on a video game. Yeah, and, and not with real people.
1: Yeah, yeah, like it's it's shitty by the way, just in passing. Even if we're being like all cold rational actors, um, but I also don't think that it's a prudent way to handle your reputation around the league.
0: Uh, next one from Connor Walsh is Gustav Forsling a target in free agency that the Leafs should look at if Florida can't get him resigned. Seems like a good puck mover, even if he's a left-handed defenseman. High counting stats this year. Hurts trying to get him as UFA. But I'm not sure how much credit he's getting for Florida's play. And I I didn't answer this one, but my immediate response was like the same as I think what you're going to say, which is just that like, we're not going to be in his price range. He'll be too expensive. Yep.
1: Yep. So I will say it is always a little bit weird evaluating how much attention is paid to Florida. It's certainly more now than it has been in years past because they're respected as a contender. Finals runs will do that. But the two things that drive defensemen salaries are ice time and points. Forsling has been a top pair defender at EV the last two years. Like, actual top pair. Um, He's had at least one finals run as a coming out party. This will probably be his third season in the 40-point range. I would be really surprised if the Leafs were in a position to bid on someone with that profile, given their capping constraints. It's also a bit awkward that he's a left defenseman. Like, maybe you still say he's good enough that you just try and make it work. But I would be surprised if we're winning any bidding wars for Gustav Forstler.
0: Yeah, okay. I agree. Um, oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, next one. So you are struck with amnesia and are no longer burdened with your allegiance to the Maple Leafs. Which team do you pick to cheer for of your own free will and why?
1: So the boring answer is that unless my amnesia has also moved me geographically, I still live in Toronto and have friends and family who are Leaf fans. But if you assume total neutrality, like I'm just reborn in a sphere floating above North America or something, I'd probably cheer for the Seattle Kraken. it would be cool to get in early. They have cool jerseys. I just like them in general. Also, they haven't been around long enough for me to develop a specific antagonism towards them, which I'm sure helps. So that's probably conditioning my answer to the question. But yeah, I'd pick them.
0: Yeah, I I would actually say the same, mostly because I've actually been reading about cephalopods recently, and they're very cool animals. So the... Kraken are sort of our cephalopod adjacent. So that's that's What's what look I to
1: you about cephalopods where you're like, Yeah, let's read up on this. Or uh it was just... it was sort of
0: random. It was just there's I I recently got like the Kindle app on my on like my e reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had Amazon has this essentially like effectively Amazon, it's like a library, but you could pay for it, which is like stupid. Yeah. But they have a free trial, so <laughs> I was like weaponizing the free trial. And what one, one of the books that they Suggested was this book called Other Minds, which is by a philosopher, and it's it's about sort of cephalopods and like their their path to evolution, but also sort of about the consciousness of animals and how it differs to humans. I've also been oh. re- I've also been re- reading about that a little bit in general. Like, I, if you're familiar with the uh, the journalist and author Ed Yong, um,
1: he, I've heard of Ed Yong. Yeah. yeah,
0: so uh, he he his book An Immense World won the Pulitzer like a year a year or two years ago, and it's essentially all about animal senses. And how they differ from humans and how the fact that we sort of, we cannot conceive of their senses because they are just different from ours. Mm-hmm. So we try to force animal intelligence and animal perception onto our own mapping of the world, which can like, lead to these really big blind spots in how we actually understand animals and how we actually impact animals. Um, so it's a very interesting book. Both of these books, yeah. actually. Other Minds. I forget the author of that, but it's, it's called Other Minds. And then An Immense World by Ed Yong. Uh, both of these are very popular books i'm not like uncovering any any <laughs> anything hipster here but i would definitely recommend them
1: see there you go so the back to excited book club getting started soon um okay oh. so this next one do you want to take yeah it what's
0: the path to the leaves winning a cup this year or must we imagine sisyphus happy
1: <laughs> speaking of philosophy so one uh, goldie heater that's always the path to winning a cup to be honest with you and obviously there's more to it than that but really it's very hard to win a cup if you don't have one of the best goalie performances. Uh, must we imagine Sisyphus happy? We must imagine Sisyphus sad in a group. Um, okay, so...
0: Oh, this one's going to be oh, a big yeah. one. Okay, yeah, so we both okay. have answers to this, um, but yeah. it'll be a long one. So at this point in the season, which UFAs and RFAs would you offer contracts to?
1: All right, so just for the sake of setting this up with a list, and I'm excluding the permanent LTIR guys... Uh, The Leafs' UFAs are Tyler Bertuzzi, Max Domi, Bobby McMahon, T.J. Brody, Mark Giordano, William Lagason, Ilya Samsonov, and Martin Jones. Pause. The RFAs are Nick Robertson, Noah Gregor, Timothy Lilligren, Simone Benoit, and Max LeJoy. Lots to deal with here. So, uh, for UFAs, I would offer Bertuzzi an extension now if he's willing to take security, but he was taking a one year to set up a cash-in this summer. I'm sure his agent also knows that he's been shooting pretty cold this year, also with some notable regression last night, it seemed like, uh, because he had his hat trick. Um, So I imagine I would offer him a deal he would say no to. Domi, I'm, I'm very much on the fence with. I have to admit, I have a hard time with Max Domi because he does have legitimate assets and he's kind of working as a middle six center and yet he has drawbacks that I... Can't quite make myself overlook. Well,
0: I think a huge chunk of, like, the annoyance with the Leafs this year is, like, they have they have a, a bunch of guys who are, like, kind of one-dimensional in some respects. Mm-hmm. But, like, you really don't want your third-line center to be one-dimensional because, like, you don't want to optimize for your third-line center's usage.
1: Mm-hmm. Right?
0: Mm-hmm. Like, at the end, that's, at, that's kind of what it is at the end of the day. So, it's, like, Domi requires all this weird, like, contorting because of his strong offensive I guess but weak defensive ability. So, yeah. it's... It's been like a little challenging. We've sort of stumbled onto something that seems to work right now. We'll see how that continues to progress. But I, I, that I think I have the same sort of feeling with Domi, which is just that like he's a good player, but he's so polarizing in some ways that it's hard to always know how to use him.
1: Yeah, I think like you know we've talked about him being on something like seven teams in the course of his career, and I think this is a part of why because he has a lot that is attractive about his player profile, and yet he is an awkward piece. That said. Um, middle six centers are not easy to come by in the market. He does seem to want to stay here. I'm sure he remembers fondly, uh, you know, his father's run in Toronto. Um, you know, if you can make a consistent line where William Melander is kind of driving it from the wing and Domi can be a center with him, then maybe that's worth doing. But I, I lean no. Um, McMahon, I'm still not a hundred percent sure what he is. So unless he's willing to do like two by 1.1 or something i wait and see I, I i like i think i would roll the dice on that even though i'm risking paying matt fratton but uh probably nothing there jordano i think retires tj brody i think is probably gone unless he's coming into the big discount uh Samsonov, i think might walk although he's his resurgence has brought that back into question uh, Martin Jones, I just offered two years at the league minimum to be a third goalie and hope that the second year held some clear waivers, like somebody's got to do it. Um, there's not really any reason to rush on any of the RFAs. So the only big ticket the Leafs would really want to lock in is Lolliagren. if they could try and buy some term and stuff right now. However, they're so squeezed next year that I'm not sure they can afford for him to come in at a high cap hit of the kind that you would need to put, get him on like a five-year. So... I think the result is that you just say wait and see on pretty much all of the RFAs because you recognize you have the leverage.
0: Yeah. So UFAs, McMahon should be cheap. You would think, but like, actually I wrote this before his current level of play like exploded. <laughs> and now if you're his agent, you're probably like, ah, eh, let's, let's play this out. Right. Um, you're, yeah. so you, he's probably not, is, is not wanting to sign anything. That's not like kind of something that looks like an overpay right now. Uh, Domi, uh, kind Of similar or to, to you, kind of just don't think he's the right threat, uh, third line center for this team specifically due to his weaknesses overlapping too heavily with uh, with Taveras. Giordano, I'll keep at League Min or close to it as long as he wants to keep playing, so well, that's a him decision. Lagason's mm-hmm. fine as a 7 8, offer him a commensurate deal. Same with Jones. Uh, Brody's, I think, kind of the, the difficult one. Um, I think mm-hmm. I offer him like one by 3.5 or so. His age is a big concern, it's possible he's not able to get a whole lot more elsewhere, especially if he has a rough playoffs. Um, he's looked better on his left side, as we've covered earlier. Moving him there might extend his career another year or two. Mm-hmm. And Bertuzzi, I think, like, similar to you. I think he's just going to the highest bid or the longest-term deal he can get. And I don't yeah. think that'll be us.
1: Yeah, and so I think that's reasonable. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I, the Brody question kind of does trouble me a little bit. Um, just because I do like the idea of him being a a kind of a stabilizing force on a third pairing with Timothy Iljogren. And if that is something that you can do for a couple years going forward, it's appealing to me. But he has looked so rough in his previous usage. I think he is in decline. So yeah, you could probably talk me into one by 3.5. So next up, from Exit Steve Left, as of right now, two of McDavid, McKinnon, Kucherov, Matthews, and Hughes would not even be finalists for the heart. If you had a vote, who would be your finalist and your winner right now?
0: Uh, I'd go McKinnon, McDavid, Matthews as my finalists, and I'd probably have McKinnon win it. Um, they're all really close, though. I I think a- average fans are going to want Kucherov there because he's like, destroying the points race, mm-hmm. uh, and it also has like probably the least help of any of these players because Tampa is the worst team of these.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I think the rest of his game has not been strong enough. Uh, relative to these guys like he he's a very strong number 4 to me.
1: Yeah, that that's reasonable. I would tend to agree with that. The only thing I want to note is that in a dead heat, which this currently looks like to me, um I think there might be a bit of a voters skew towards McKinnon. He's kind of been recognized as in that top 3 tier of McDavid, Matthews, McKinnon for like 3 years now. Um but Matthews and McDavid already have heart trophies, McKinnon doesn't, so there might be a bit of a lifetime achievement bias there. Um, it might help him break a tie. However, if McDavid does what McDavid can do and surges back and wins the Art Ross by like 10 plus points, that's going to probably put paid to McKinnon's candidacy. And then the question is just, is Matthew scoring some ridiculous number of goals, like 75 plus. Um, next up from Puck Patty, going back to the season pre-Matthews, uh, at the number one pick, which player would you like to have now with the cap that they were at then playing at the level they were at then? So I, so I this didn't, is from the tank year.
0: Yeah, I didn't do any research on this, but just from memory, uh, JVR was a first-line caliber winger who was playing for $4 million or so. Even if you inflate it to like, you know, same percentage of cap, he would have been like a total bargain on that.
1: Yeah. Um, so excluding Morgan Riley, who I think would be duplicated, I don't know if you're allowed to clone him for the premise of the question. Um, there are really only, like, three players who would be of any interest. Uh, like, maybe, like, a couple other guys, but it would be one of JVR, Kadri, or Jake Gardner. And I would go with Kadri, just because even at the level he was at then, he would be a really nice third-line center right now. Um, This is from our good buddy, Jake Beliefs. Your life depends on one of the following defenders having a strong series against a playoff opponent. Jordano, Benoit, Laguson, LaJoy, Rafai. <laughs> Which of them are you selecting as your champion to save your life? Oh god, that's that's terrifying. I think <laughs> i gonna die, man. It has to be Benoit. It has to be Benoit. It has to be Benoit, yeah. I, god bless Mark Giordano. I just I think Father Time is is kind of finishing that one off. You know he would give it absolutely everything he had, but Benoit has been legit this year as a defensive defenseman. Credit words, it's
0: Yeah. Um okay, so you're the owner of a five star restaurant, you need to staff it with least players. Two line cooks, one head chef, one dishwasher, two servers, one host, and one manager. Who are you putting where? My initial thought—so I, I I didn't do this question, but my initial thought is if you have a five-star restaurant and you put some lease in charge of it, it's going to be a two-star restaurant pretty fast.
1: <laughs> we are not going to sustain this for long. So I have to um, preface this by saying my knowledge of what goes on in a restaurant kitchen is mostly based on the television series The Bear. So— I don't really know what I'm doing on this one, but that's never stopped me before. Uh, I would say Tyler Bertuzzi already looks like a line cook. Put him and Yarnkrook in there. Marner's creativity and all-around talent sells us at head chef. Uh, Simon Benoit's washing dishes. Nylander and Nyes are our servers because they're handsome. Uh, Morgan Riley's the host because of his personal charm, and Tavares is the manager who makes sure we pay our bills on time
0: and also finds us tax breaks
1: <laughs> and gets into disputes with the CRA.
0: Um, uh, okay. next question from yeah. George Valeris, uh, Sean Walker, perfect fit. What is taking so long?
1: So yeah, so Sean Walker is a right defenseman for the Philadelphia Flyers. And I think there are four reasons we don't already have him. One deadlines make deals in sports and in most other, other industries. When you have time, you can afford to stick to a more aggressive position and wait for the other party to blink. So as we've seen many times before, you tend to get a lot more action as the deadline gets close. Uh, Two, the Leafs may not want to spend much on a rental this year, which is what Walker would be, for reasons previously discussed. Um, They may not know that they can extend Walker at a rate that they find reasonable. Um, Third, this is by far the best season of Sean Walker's career. He was a third pair defenseman on LA for basically his whole five years there. Now he looked good in that role, and you can take his emergence this year as a legit top four guy as proof that he just needed a chance. Um, but the Leafs may be hesitant to win a bidding war for a rental whose price has gone way up in the last six months. Um, finally, Philadelphia is probably setting a high price because they're still in a playoff spot and they may be waiting to see what happens with Calgary because once Tanev is dealt or if the Flames decide to keep him, Walker is arguably the best right defender on the market. That might spark a bidding war among the teams that missed out on Tanev.
0: Also worth noting that um, John Tortorella has had a, a propensity to kind of get defenders to produce better results than they've experienced in other parts of their career. Um, he, he has, he seems to have a real talent for, for finding ways to utilize the skills of the defenders that he has. This is actually most notable with another current flyer in Rasmus Ristolainen, who's quietly like been okay and not the tire fire that he used to be, you know, for a lot of his career in Buffalo.
1: Um, yeah. We probably have made more fun of Rasmus Ristolainen than any single player on this podcast. Um, And, yeah, he's been competent there, which is impressive.
0: Yeah, so I think that's something that would give me a little bit of uh, pause as well. Uh, Next question is from Tarantula. Would you bring back Nazem Kadri, And if so, what would you give up? Uh, I don't want any part of Nazem Kadri's contract.
1: I hate to say this because I love the idea of having him on this team again. But, yes, as a practical matter, this is a no-go. To answer the question somewhat more fully— I'll take Kadri back if the Flames are retaining 50% on him. They're never going to do that because they would be committing to $3.5 million of dead money for five years. Um, I would give up a first plus Minton or Cowan and a B prospect for a half-retained Kadri. If I offered it, I suspect the Flames would tell me to go fuck myself. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's not going to happen, unfortunately. God bless you, Nas. Um, next up, from Michael Bunting's Juiced W.A.R., <laughs> Has John Tavares played his last season as the second-line center of the Leafs? I would
0: say no, just because he has one more year on his contract. as previously covered in a different question. I don't think we're trading him. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think the Leafs have the cap space to really acquire an actual second-line center to supplant him. Maybe this Domi thing kind of works out and you make that argument. But I, I I, tend to think when push comes to shove, the first time the Leafs lose two games out of three with this new lineup configuration, we're going back to Tavares-Nylander.
1: Yeah, you, you can argue whether or not he's the second-line center at this exact moment, mm-hmm. but I think still in status and primacies, he pretty much is. Um, another question from Michael Bunting's Juiced War. So, no Riley for this stretch, no Tavares Marner for some games, depth completely scuffed, goaltending pretty mid all year, blue line looks terrible on paper all year. At what point does Sheldon Keefe get some credit for the 103-point pace?
0: I think he started to get some amount of credit now, which which is good. Yeah. I think Keith is a fine coach. I think sometimes people treat him as if he's like a total fucking moron, which I don't think he he is. Right. <laughs> I think any coach, you're going to disagree with him on some stuff. That's just the way yeah. it is. There's no coach who bats a thousand. Um, but yeah, I think mean, I think there's some other caveats here that that you you can get into that make it make this year seem a little bit less impressive than it may seem from that tweet.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I, I'll preface this by saying I agree with Arbind. I don't think Keefe is a moron. I think that people treat him as if he's the whole problem because it's easier than accepting that maybe we have deeper problems that are harder to fix than just by firing somebody. Um, At the same time, flip that around and say, what is the argument that Sheldon Keefe is a top five coach in the NHL? And I should add, that should be the standard for the Toronto Maple Leafs coach. There's no salary cap on coaching. It's a prestigious position. They should be able to get a very good coach at any given opportunity. Um, So you look at, say, Rick Tockett and what he's done with the Vancouver Canucks, who were expected to be a bubble team, really, and are instead like kind of running away with the Pacific Division. They've fumbled a little bit lately, but they've had a terrific year. Um, Jim Montgomery in Boston has really no legitimate top six centers, or at least by reputation. And the Bruins are still an absolute wagon defensively and are still a strong threat to win their division. Um, Look at, you know, what Bruce Cassidy's gone through with the Vegas Golden Knights. You know, you want to talk about injuries. He's had tons of them to deal with. This is where the bar is. And by the way, reputations for coaches change a lot year to year. Not all of these guys were nearly so well thought of at their last stops. It's just one of those things that, that goes quickly. If you look at Keefe and you want to make a case against him, you can say, well, he has career-year William Nylander and then Matthew's playing like God. And this team has contending expectations. They were a 100-plus point team before he ever got here. And right now, they're like maybe the eighth best team in the NHL. So I think you can certainly make a case that Keefe is not an idiot. And you may well be correct if you say... I don't think most people would do any better. Most coaches would do any better. At the same time, I don't know that you can make a case that he is a top five coach and that is where the bar should be. Okay, this run is from Spaceman Ian. Say you're Bradston Pizza, the Toronto Maple Leafs GM. You can trade for any one player you want and their team can't veto it as long as A, the player was once a Leafs player or pick and B, you provide reasonably fair return value to the other team. Who do you trade? So, who do each of you trade for? Why? And what do they cost?
0: Yeah, the fair return value is sort of an interesting concept here because, like, I don't know, what exactly is fair return value in, in the sense of, you know, sometimes sometimes teams will not take a like, quote unquote fair trade because it just doesn't line with their timelines. Like, as we discussed, the Leafs wouldn't trade Matthews for Bedard, even, and neither would Chicago, mm-hmm. even though, like, that's clearly, like, fair from. Uh, in terms of, like, overall value of those two players because of mm-hmm. just, like, how... because of the timing of how good those players are and, like, their wins... where their wins come, sort of, this year versus, like, in the future. Um, So, assuming that I can just sort of, like, trade futures here, my initial thought was, like, let's try and, like, beat up Florida a little bit. So my initial thought was trying to get either Carter Verhage or Evan Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, like, futures are, like, not helpful to Florida right now for the season. Or not super helpful, at least. And... Carter Verhaeghe's a forty goal scorer.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I I did a similar thing with Edmonton. Um, if we get Zach Hyman back, he immediately swat, slots in as first line left wing, or even helps carry like a third line, which we know he can do. Um, but fair value for the Oilers is stuff that helps him win, helps them win this year, because that's what they're trying to do. Well, my futures package of a first, a third, and Fraser Mitten or whatever, um, is not helping them do that. So. If you get to, okay, it has to be fair value for a team trying to win immediately, then it kind of becomes the Leafs almost can't win the trade by definition with a team in the same position as themselves. So, yeah, like a bit of a complex question on fair value.
0: Um, Next one from Boots Campbell. Who needs to come back to move, Minton or Cowan? Uh, It has to be like a, I think, rather than name a particular player, it has to be someone with a bit of term. At least yes. at least one year after this one.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. You have to be confident that you are either getting a middle six center, rock solid, or a top four right defenseman, rock solid, with at least one year after this one. And a player that fills those holes in a way that you can be confident in for the next two plus years is worth it. Anything less than that, I don't think you do it. Yep.
0: Uh, from Aaron Kinney. Columbus does not look to be interested in trading Boone Jenner but does the possibility of once again trading a first round pick for an aging Columbus captain yeah. excite you no
1: it went so well with Nick Foligno. yeah are you a no on this one
0: uh, I don't know enough about Boone Jenner off the top of my head to be honest I I, I think it'd be fine I think I, I think similar to what you're going to say I would like some retention on him I don't know why Columbus doesn't want doesn't seem to be interested in trading Jenner like this is Columbus is such a joke of a team
1: they have made a string of extremely questionable decisions now people who talk about prospects do tell me like look they're actually well positioned when they get a new gm and a new coach in there this could turn around faster than it looks like very possible very fair um but man they've done some bizarre shit. so yeah boone jenner is 30 years old he has two years after this one at 3.75 million um so the question said does it excite you well excite is a strong word But if the Blue Jackets will retain on Boone Jenner to get him into the, like, high twos, you know, like, take a million off it or something, I would have a conversation about it, you know? Like, I could see him locking up the third-line center position.
0: It does help, like, the Domi issue, so to speak, where— But then the question is, like, well, then what do you do with Max Domi? Because, like, he hasn't been that good on the wing. And you're not going to that, make up your 4th line center, is. right? So. We're
1: always like, okay, if we can just get a center. But then it's like Domi's value has all been generated at center. So, like, do you just unload him to make this work? I don't know.
0: Yeah. And um, I mean, it's not obvious to me that Jenner is even, like, significantly better than Domi.
1: No. And so, yeah. Like, if I were doing this, I think I'm almost guaranteed to be using Jenner as like a super fourth line center and then I don't know what I'm doing with comp so like it kind of is messy but I don't hate the idea of it um from sorry uh, do you want to read this one? sure.
0: is the recent play of Robert McBobbert the best streak from a call up the Leafs (laughs) have had in the last decade
1: trying to think of we're having fun with Bobby McMahon's name yeah
0: I'm trying to think if there's any other call ups who have I I mean (laughs) does Nylander count? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that was um, my answer. I said, uh, Nealander got called up in fifteen sixteen, and he produced at a higher rate than McMahon has. Um, but, uh, but, like, that's a little different, right? Because Mac- yeah. McMahon is, like, a lot older <laughs> yeah. than people think. Yeah, and, like, Neilander was, at the time, like, almost our only meaningful prospect in the organization. So, yeah. Um, he's been unreal lately. I do have to add, as a bit of a, a caution... I think people are forgetting a little bit how much he played before he really busted out. Like, he played 26 games before this hot streak in which he had two goals and five assists. Um, that said, he was being used in a not very helpful offensive role. I see, think it's pretty clear he can do more with more opportunity. So I'm willing to believe that he has certainly more to give up the lineup. Um, but yeah, if you edit out like guys like, Nylander or something like that. He's certainly one of the best call-offs we've had. It's been a really fun ride. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, okay, so next from Johnny Joestar. A hypothetical trade I've been considering would be to trade this year's first plus a prospect or a roster player like Domi or Bertuzzi and acquire another team's 2025 first and basically try to short them. I like this idea in concept, but I don't think it works for the Leafs.
1: Yeah. Uh, like not to be like a buzzkill on this cool arbitrage idea, but this runs against the valuation conversations we've had all through this mailbag. The Leafs would be trying to sell wins this season, which is what Domi and Bertuzzi represent, to gain wins um, down the line. Like, when does the first cash out? 2029? Through arbitrage. I don't think this works. I think if you're going to try it, like maybe you aim at Pittsburgh if they're still cutting themselves about a playoff spot, although that seems less likely. But... I don't think that the gap in quality of first that you might reasonably obtain, especially next year when the teams are less likely to be that different, is worth the sacrifice you're making this season. So, yeah, like I wouldn't do this. Um, It's a cool idea, and I'm not saying in different situations it might not play out, especially if you went further in the future, but it doesn't work for where the Leafs are.
0: Yep. And then last question from Mahesh. Would you eat Boston (laughs) pizza twice a week out of your own pocket for the rest of your life if it meant the Leafs go to the Stanley Cup final this year? Not guaranteed to win, but not necessarily a loss either. So this is, like, Boston pizza is kind of expensive. I guess the question is, can I go to Boston pizza and, like, just have, like, a, a Coke or something? Like, ha- like have, have one beer?
1: It says eat. Eat. So I think you the eat- assumption is you're at least getting an appetizer. Dude, th- that's, like, ex- fucking expensive, man. It adds up. A- and the thing is, is that, like, you can say, okay, like, I like eating out as much as next guy. But if I'm going to Boston pizza twice a week... Can I go out to eat elsewhere? Right. You know, because I'm like, my budget to eat out is mostly taken up with Boston pizza. Um,
0: So it's like 40 bucks. Let's say it's 20 bucks each time. Because Boston pizza is like kind of price. If you're actually like having a meal for one person. I think 20 is like, that's like really light.
1: That's with no alcohol. Yes. Yes. So, Yeah.
0: Um, okay, so, Which I
1: probably need to forget what I sacrificed to eat a pasta piece. So
0: we're talking 40 bucks a week. This is like $2,000 a year. So essentially, are you pa- willing to pay $2,000 a year for the rest of your life for a 50% chance of winning the cup this year?
1: Okay. Why should I have to do this, goddammit? They make a hell of a lot more money than I do. Why can't they go and win the Stanley Cup? And then I don't have to fuck with my diet and my weight and my bank account in order to do it. I'm saying no. I I have suffered enough for this team without having to sacrifice myself to the Boston Pizza Gods.
0: Yeah, I so. I th- I think this is this is a lot. Like if I mean so just <laughs> I'm just putting this into a a present value calculator. Um <laughs> if you assume like an interest rate of 5%, $2,000 a year for the next 40 years, we're talking 34 grand in present value.
1: Listen, Man, Mahesh, you're fucking up my retirement to make me go to Boston Pizza. I don't like it. Yeah, I, I don't I, like it at all.
0: I don't think I'd spend 34 grand for a 50% chance of the least winning the Cup. Or 100% chance of the least winning the Cup, to be honest. Like, thir- I, like 34 grand is just a lot of money.
1: Yeah, it's... It, I gotta say, I, like, I'm more just... Uh, I'm outraged by it. Because, like, I already feel like I've probably net negative put into the Leafs organization, at least emotionally, in terms of what I've gotten back for it. So I resent that they are demanding that I have, you know, some mediocre restaurant food. I mean, you know, like the Boston Brute Sandwich is fine. The,
0: the, the one um, saving grace here is, like, maybe you can, like, get a, a Jared from Subway deal. Uh, I, I, I just have the pedophilia
1: part of it. Yeah, obviously we want to leave that part out yeah but yeah
0: like where you can become the face of boston pizza
1: is that who i want to be in my life like the defining thing in my life is that i'm the face of boston pizza i'm like i don't like
0: but it, 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 it might cut down on the cost basically
1: that's true yeah maybe i can get sponsored
0: but like you still like you got to do it for a while until you get spot- like you got to do this for at least a couple years
1: before Boston, and like Pizza they noticed, and they're it. like, You're always here, man. What's going on? And I'm like, Actually, you remember that time that the Leafs lost in the finals to the Edmonton Oilers in five games? That was me. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it would be int- yeah. so. I think
0: this is like more if it was like the Leafs are guaranteed to get to the conference finals every year for the next like eight years or something. It's like, Okay, yeah. at that point, you're like expected standing cups is like two,
1: yeah. Right. I think if it's like, okay, if I have to do this for a year and that guarantees them a third round appearance, I probably do it for a few years. Mm-hmm. But like, I have to be able to get off the bus at some point it, because, like, I don't want to be 75 and honoring my Boston pizza commitment.
0: Also, like, it really restricts. I don't know if you're ever looking to move, but, like, there's not Boston pizzas in a lot in various parts of the world.
1: That's the other thing is it commits me almost as firmly as if I bought real estate, probably more. So, yeah, I don't know. I I don't think I can do it, I guess is what I'm saying. I'm sorry. If any of you are willing to pursue this deal and Brad Treloving says that he promises to do it, go for it.
0: All right. So I think that wraps it up for us. Um, Thank you to everyone for the questions that they submitted. As always, we always have this fear that, oh, we're never going to get any questions Then we get (laughs) – a google doc that's 27 pages long um so thank you for for the questions thanks for sticking with us and yeah you can catch all of mine and foderman's work at com. you can also follow us on twitter at rv and at foderman thanks for listening we'll see you next time